you there. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 o'clock. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Open Book. I'm Richard Walensky. My guest is Jason Minadakis, who is the artistic director of Marin Theater Company in Mill Valley. Jason Minadakis has been the artistic director of Marin Theater Company for eight seasons. Currently, he is the director of Lasso of Truth, which is running through the weekend at Marin Theater Company, and he's also going to be directing shows next year. A lot going on at Marin Theater Company, which we'll talk about. But first, I want to talk about Lasso of Truth. It's an original world premiere, and I've noticed that both ACT and Berkeley Rep, a lot of these companies are now suddenly doing world premieres. What's going on? Why is there this sudden rush of world premieres, or is, is it just coincidence that you're all doing one at around the same time? I think it's coincidence that we're all doing them at the same time. All of these companies have a commitment, especially here in the Bay Area, of doing world premieres and adding to the canon and helping to keep our current playwrights working and to produce their work. We are doing the world premiere of a play that we've been in development with for about four years now. The play was originally brought to us just as an idea by the playwright, Carson Kreitzer. She called me up and said, I have this idea for a play. It's about the man who created Wonder Woman. He also created the first lie detector machine. He had two women that he lived with, one he was married to, one was a graduate assistant. He had two children by both. They were into bondage. This was in the 1930s. What do you think? And I took a little pause and then said, well, let's talk about how we're actually going to get you to write this play. So four years later, uh, after quite a bit of development, working around the country with a lot of different organizations to really develop the play and get it to a place where it's ready to present, we are now doing the world premiere. It opened two weeks ago. It's been going really, really well. So if you are a big Wonder Woman fan, do not miss it. We are running through this weekend, through the 16th. And uh, we're hoping that it's going to have a big future life uh, after this. Up next, the play will be going to Atlanta to Synchronicity Performance Group, and then it'll be moving on to Kansas City later in the year. And uh, we're certainly hoping that it hits New York on the way. When you're talking about the development, give an idea of the process of, say, the development of Lasso of Truth. What was the original shape, and how does that change along the way? And what role did you have in that? It's a very complicated process. It's unique to each play. This play, because it has such a graphic novel style to it, there are a lot of projections that have had to be worked in over the course of of the, the four years we've been working on the play, and we've had to figure out how a graphic novel style play would even function. So there were a lot of things that we had to experiment with in terms of when a panel is put up that has graphic information, how does that balance with the actual dialogue that's running? Does it Should it contrast to it? Should it be a heightening of what's happening on stage? How does it rhythmically work in? How much time does the audience need to digest an image? How much time do they need to digest text, if that's what we're projecting? So there was a lot of different things that we had to work on with this play. Plus, 
the play has gone through a number of revisions and number of drafts. We have read the play a number of times and workshopped it at different organizations. We were at the Playwright Center in Minneapolis. We were at the Black Swan Lab at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. We developed it with the National New Play Network at Woolly Mammoth. We developed it at the Lark Theater, uh, which is a playwright development center in New York City. We did a lot of work on this play with a lot of different partners to try to find the best form for the play and to find the best running time to find the best style for the play. And uh, what we're doing now here at Marin is sort of the culmination of all of that work. But it still will go through more changes, tightening, I would guess, seeing what works and what doesn't. So, for instance, right now there are two main storylines, but there's also a third. Would that third storyline, Gloria Steinem, would that wind up being in the final production, do you think? I definitely think Gloria Steinem staying in the play. The playwright's coming back in this weekend. She's arriving Saturday night, and she's going to see the last final performances. She's going to do a lot of rewriting before the next production. We just had a meeting with her on Monday over the phone to talk about the things that we've learned and the audience feedback that we've been getting, where the audience gets restless, where we feel like there's extraneous material. Um, I think what's going to happen with this play is that there will be some trimming and tightening, more so than eradication of, of plot lines. There are six or seven plots. There are really six, I guess, uh, going on in this play. So there's a lot of different storylines swirling around a central idea, but it's sort of that centrifugal force of those different storylines that really makes the play work and makes it work in the unique way that it does work. She's going to look at trimming and tightening and, and making the flow better while trying to figure out what are the things that the audience has to have to, to keep the momentum going forward of the, of the dramatic thrust of the play. And when you talk about audience feedback, you're talking about during those periods when people ask questions, are you talking about letters? Are you talking about just looking at the audience? We spend a lot of time, once the play is opening, watching how the audience is reacting. Where do they shift? Where do they, as a group, get very uncomfortable in terms of you can actually see where you're getting information overload when people start looking at their watches, when they start rustling in their seats. There are quite a few tells that an audience will give you as a group in terms of where they're fading out and where you've maybe stretched too far in terms of trying to, to make a point. So we've been watching the audience. We've also, we do Q&As after every performance except Saturday nights. So we've been getting a lot of audience feedback about what works and what's not working, where they're getting confused. And then we've also had quite an intense email campaign where we've been asking for people to write in their feedback in terms of what they've been thinking about the play after they leave the theater and they have discussions about it on the way home. And that's also aided in the sort of book of knowledge that we now have about how the play functions. You don't make changes then over the course of the two or three week run. You can. We haven't for this one, partly because we've been letting the play settle and letting the play, letting the actors really own the material. It was a real helter-skelter rush to, to get all the technical elements in place and to get the actors dealing with the those elements to then continue to change them on them in this first run. When we know we have two more runs of the play, we're kind of letting this one settle, and then we're, gonna, we're uh, Carson's coming back. She's going to look at it again, and there'll be changes made before the next production. How do you know, as the director, whether it's you as the director hitting something that's not working and you need to make it work, or whether it's the play itself that's hitting something that doesn't work? The best thing that I can do is just to talk to the playwright about how certain moments are landing, and we can discuss together whether or not the way it was staged is a factor, whether or not the performers are a factor, whether or not the given audience that reacts to it a certain way is a factor, or whether it's the writing. We hope that 
what we've done is that we can we know the play intimately enough where we can figure out the moments where it's the staging that's actually affecting it or whether or not it's the writing. Um, so that's something that we that you just hope that you've developed a, enough understanding of what the material is asking for. That by this point in the process, there's enough trust between the two of us that that we can speak on the same page and, and can kind of distill that out after watching it work in front of an audience. Lasso of Truth plays through this weekend. Jason Minadakis, before we go on, let's look a little back at the past season. You've done good people. I and you, Jacob Marley's Christmas Carol, Lano Lasso of Truth. We have two more coming up. One is Fences by August Wilson, which is the second August Wilson that you've done, and the third that's been in the Bay Area in the past few years. I believe Berkeley Rep did Joe Turner's Come and Gone. Mm -hmm. Little by little, I guess the Bay Area is going to wind up seeing all ten plays, I hope. I think we may have already done all ten plays in the area. The only play that I am not sure whether has had a Bay Area production uh, by August Wilson is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. My guess is that it probably has. We at Marin Theatre Company have made a bit of a commitment to producing all 10 of August's plays over the next 20 years or so. We're trying to do one every other year right now, and what we're interested in is bringing in the new generation of African-American theater artists who grew up on August's work, but were not necessarily part of the processy of those initial plays being done the first time around and we want to bring in that new generation and say what does august work mean to you partly because so many of the plays that we're finding so interesting right now are young african-american writers who grew up with august so we're not only interested in bringing their work to the stage we're also interested in finding the young african-american directors and artists and asking them to reinterpret August's work and and to put their own stamp on it. So that's one of the reasons why we've been committing to to producing August's work. And uh, we'll see if that continues, uh, because what it's certainly done is it's opened up our audience to seeing a lot more African-American work. We're certainly in a very unique place where we're doing three African-American productions out of six next year. And that's something that we're incredibly proud of and that we're very excited to see how our audience responds to it and how the Bay Area in general responds to it. What is Fences about? Fences is about a man, Troy Maxson, who was the Negro League home run king. And he's now a garbage collector in the city of Pittsburgh. And he is trying to raise his son. And his son has the opportunity to get a football scholarship. And Troy is insisting that he stick to his after-school job, which is uh, at the local grocery store. And his son, Corey, is having a hard time doing the work at the grocery store, keeping up with his schoolwork, and playing football. And Troy sort of insists that he keep up with his schoolwork and his job first and foremost, and that athletics has to be a secondary thing. It's how the prize of education and also the prize of professional athletics, how it offered something in that time period to the African-American community as a, as a way out. It was also, for some people, it was a blind alley that wasn't going to go anywhere. It's a very unique play. It was his first Tony Award winner. It was his first Pulitzer winner. It's a really important piece of theater, and we're excited to be revisiting it with an amazing Bay Area cast. It's the first time that we will be working with Carl Lumley, who will be playing Troy. Stephen Anthony Jones will be playing Bono, and Margot Hall will be playing Rose, Troy's wife. It's an amazing cast of Bay Area actors who actually haven't been on stage together before. So this is a really big production for us that we're very excited about. The final show of the season is Failure, a Love Story, in which the 
actors also play musical instruments, I guess, a la John Doyle. There's a little bit of John Doyle inspiration there, for sure. We have five actors playing a number of different parts over the course of the play. They're playing three sisters, their adopted brother, and the man who falls in love with all four of them. And then beyond those five parts, they're also playing the girl's mother and father. They're playing some household pets, including a boa constrictor, a dog, two feral parakeets. They're playing all the clocks in the family clock shop. It takes place in Chicago in the 1920s and 1930s. And they will also be playing themselves, I guess. And we're solving a lot of the production challenges of the play with musical instruments. So when each person ends up becoming a clock, they'll have a different instrument that they're playing for that clock. And the instruments will actually make up the clocks, which will make up the world of the shop that the sisters own. It's a really fascinating piece of theater. It is a beautiful play about loving and losing and coming together and, and finding love in the most unlikeliest of places. So it's a bit of a musical. It's a bit of a fantasy piece. We're having a lot of original music created for it. And we're also going to have a lot of 1920s and 1930s inspired music. The play's got its world premiere in Chicago at Victory Gardens last year, I guess. And uh, we are doing the fourth or fifth production. I can't remember exactly which. It's It's been going around the, the country. We're doing a very different take on it. The, the playwright's very excited about coming out and being a part of our process. And we're excited to have him because he's also getting his Bay Area premiere uh, with another piece called The Homosexuals that will be at New Conservatory Theater right around the same time when we'll be doing Failure. So you people will be getting to see a lot of Philip Dawkins' work, which will be quite exciting. Jason Minadakis, looking at next year, Fetch Clay Make Man by Will Powers. It's about the friendship between Muhammad Ali and Step and Fetch It. And that comes out of the New York Theater Workshop. It ended up at the New York Theater Workshop. It actually originated at the McCarter Theater with Emily Mann was uh, the original director on it. She wasn't able to do the New York production, so Des Mackinoff ended up doing the New York production at New York Theater Workshop. One of our directors, Kent Gash, told me that I absolutely could not leave New York without seeing the play, so I, I went and saw it at New York Theater Workshop and fell in love with it. It's written by a San Francisco native, Will Power, who grew up here in San Francisco and was a big part of the hip-hop culture a decade or so ago and is now quite an amazing playwright and this is the first play of his that we've been able to do here. It's an amazing look at a very critical time in the 1960s and it's really fascinating to see how Step and Fetch It was sort of universally reviled in the 1960s for being the worst example of what Hollywood made out to be the lazy black man and the actor himself was really quite an amazing individual and ended up becoming friends with Ali when Ali wanted to ask him questions about his friendship with the great heavyweight champion boxer Jack Johnson. And what you end up finding out through the two men's exploration of who each other is, you come across some of the things that Step and Fetch it had to go through to make a path for younger African-American artists to make their way. He says something really interesting at one point in the play where he's talking to Ali and he says, I had to sneak in the back door so you could walk in the front door. It's a really interesting look at how different generations of African-Americans paved paths for later generations in different ways. You're listening to an interview with Jason Mendodakis, who's the artistic director of Marin Theater Company. I'm Richard Walensky on Open Book. Then you've got a play called The Whale, which I read the review. Uh, Shula Hensley was in it, and it was at Playwrights Horizon. 
Charlie is a 650-pound giant living on a couch in Idaho. And I guess the challenge in the play is that he doesn't move. He very infrequently moves. He only leaves stage twice, and it's quite a... A challenge for an actor to play that part because, you know, there aren't very many 600-pound actors out there, so it's going to end up being a, a smaller actor who has to wear quite a lot of prosthetics to make him look like a 600-pound individual. And Charlie has had a really tough time. He was married and had a daughter. When the daughter was two, he uh, ended up realizing that he was gay and that he was in love with someone else and ended up leaving the the mom and the daughter and trying to make a life for himself and the play examines his last few days when he's trying to reach back out and reconnect to his daughter it's 14 years later his daughter's 16 and she's been having a tough time of it and you end up seeing the the circle of people that that charlie has in his life now and he's trying to reconnect to his daughter who really needs needs parents and and needs someone to look after her and it's a really moving story it's going to be interesting to see how people out here in the in the bay area take it uh, especially up here in marin where two things that that are very challenging for people are to be overweight and to not take care of your kids that's something that you know the bay area is very intense about health and it's very intense about taking care of kids so we'll see if if people can find some empathy for this very gentle but very flawed man it's one of the most humanistic pieces of writing that i've stumbled across there's some in the docus then we've got something called the complete history of comedy abridged by the reduced shakespeare company that's a local group they are sort of a local group they uh were founded here in marin county up at the renaissance pleasure fair and uh the reduced shakespeare company is best known for having created the complete works of william shakespeare abridged that so many people have seen where they do reduced versions of all of shakespeare's plays in about 90 minutes They've been doing all sorts of different shows, the complete Bible in 90 minutes, uh, complete history of America. Now they're tackling the complete history of comedy. So we thought, what better way to bring the RSC back to Marin County than to bring them back for this new show that they've been working on. It's a great 90-minute, just zany evening of comedy. And these guys leave no stone unturned for a joke. They're a pretty amazing group. Two of them still live in Marin County, so it'll be great to have them back. Did they approach you? You approached them? I've known Reed Martin, uh, who's a local Bay Area actor, who's a member of the company for, for quite a few years. And we've been looking for the right play, uh, the right project to bring the RSC back in for. And, and this is the one that feels like the best fit. So it'll be good to have them back. Then there's The Convert by uh, Denai Guerrera, who I know from a show called Walking Dead. She plays Michonne, but she's primarily not an actress. She's primarily a playwright, and she grew up in Zimbabwe. She, believe it or not, actually grew up in Iowa. But well, she, she was is, born. She was, and she's got an amazing, very rich, deep connection to Zimbabwe. Her parents are, are both ambassadors, and she is quite an amazing artist. She first broke onto the scene with a play called In the Continuum that is about an African-American woman and a woman in Africa, both of whom are, are dealing with the AIDS crisis. She was an actor in that, so when she first burst onto the scene, she burst on as a playwright and as an actor. And then her next play was called The Eclipsed, and that play has gone on to be performed all over the world, just like in The Continuum was. The Convert is her third play, and it's about the colonialization of the area that came to be known as Zimbabwe. What the play explores is how white colonial missionaries went into the area and took natives back to England and 
indoctrinated them both with religion and also culture and then sent them back to be the representatives of the white missionaries in their native land and to continue the process of conversion and also to continue the process of colonialization. So this is a play that sort of explores those culture clashes with an all-African cast, which is pretty amazing that there are no white characters in the play, but that you really feel the hand of white colonialism and, and what it did to that area and how it really ripped families apart and, and really changed what that area was. It's an amazing exploration of the clashing of the new religion of the Europeans and their traditional African spiritualism and beliefs of the African culture that that the the white colonial powers are coming in to, to attempt to change and conquer and exploit. The Way West, what's it about? The Way West is actually takes place in the Modesto area of California, and it's about a mom, uh, a woman who has lost control of her finances and is, is slowly kind of tumbling into bankruptcy. It's an exploration of that period that we've just gone through of very intense financial crisis that a lot of people found themselves in, and partly a lot of people found themselves in crisis because of that American opportunistic sort of stick-to-itiveness feel that if you just apply yourself and put your nose to the grindstone, things will work out okay. That optimism that we have, the playwright sort of explores, as does mom in the play, how the pioneers who came west to establish California and to establish the west from the east of the of the Americas, how that intense American optimism was created. And so between scenes that, that are very contemporary, mom and the daughters tell stories about the pioneers and also sing pioneer songs. And it becomes this very interesting exploration of what is the American spirit and what is the American spirit of optimism. Is it a good thing? Is it a, a thing that can get us into trouble at times? And is it also something that really gets us through some really tough times? Mona Mansour is a great new playwright that uh, was introduced to the Bay Area by Golden Thread, a company that, that did her production Urge for Going earlier this year. That was a really great production, and we're excited to be bringing Mona back to the Bay Area. So The Whale is about a gay man, and several of these plays are about African Americans, and they kind of come together in Choir Boy by Terrell Alvin McCraney, which is about both. It is, it is. Choir Boy is about an institution in the South. It's an all-male high school, all-African-American male high school, that the pride and joy of the, of the institution is their a cappella gospel chorus that everyone really wants to be a part of. And it's a five-man chorus, and it's about the, the five members who are trying to become the members of the chorus for their senior year and about the, the coming of age story of one of their one of their leaders, Ferris, who is quite an independent, outspoken individual and how he has to try to maintain his own voice while also becoming the type of man that the institution prides itself on putting out into the world. It's an amazing piece that fuses gospel music, a cappella music, into the play and then between the scenes of the play. So it's a musical play, and it's it's got Terrell's very distinctive voice in it. It definitely has a lot of the threads of the rest of the season working its way through and, and kind of coming to this very interesting place where we revisit Terrell's newest work. 
we've been in love with Terrell's work for years, and we had our first big outing with his plays within the Red and Brown Water when we did the Brother-Sister trilogy with ACT and Magic, and this is our first chance to bring another one of his plays back to Marin. Jason Minadakis, a lot of artistic directors talk about plays talking to one another. What is that in your mind when you say one play, say, in some way talks to another? Well, a big part of Choir Boy is that these young teenage teenagers are studying the 1960s. And the play that we're starting the season with, Fetch Clay Make Man, takes place in the 1960s. And the issues that the young men in Choir Boy are wrestling with, that they're trying to learn from, that were, that were coming up in the 60s, we actually watch Muhammad Ali and Step and Fetch it wrestle with and argue about and actually live. So we've created a season where we have themes that are running throughout the entire year, as you mentioned. That is a very important thing that's running back and forth through through the season is is those threads. They're also running through the convert, which again is another new African American play that examines how the white colonial presence changed who Africans were, and certainly that area of Africa ended up being an area that was raided and, and where many, many people were brought over to, to the states that began the journey through the, the 20th century and into the civil rights era, where, again, that's where Fetch Clay resides and then into the, into the modern day with Choir Boy. So we're interested in how those plays are talking to each other. The Whale is very much looking at a gay man's experience, a white gay man's experience in Idaho, so in a very specific part of our country that is not very open to alternative lifestyles, very unlike the area that we live in. And then Choir Boy is set in the South and is exploring some of the issues that confront young gay men as they're growing up and trying to establish their identity. So those two plays are talking to each other in that sort of way. You're not dealing with areas that are open to different types of sexuality and different types of lifestyles the way the Bay Area or New York or Washington, D.C. are, are big big urban areas are. Both of those plays are taking place in, in much more controlled environments where the res- the environment is much more restrictive and conservative in terms of the, the point of view and lifestyles that are allowed. Everything in our season this year, we're really interested in, in getting people to look at the American experience through a different lens. We're very lucky in the Bay Area that there are a lot of people who have opportunities and have financial advantages and and resources that many other parts of the country do not have. So we're trying to put together a season where we really take our audience on a journey and see how other parts of America are wrestling with their lives and are wrestling with issues that we really take for granted here in the Bay Area. That's how we try to set up a season where the plays are talking to each other and and responding back and forth. When you're doing that, is it because the group of plays that you're looking at tend to merge that way and then you select so that they do speak to one another? Or do you go out and find? I mean, how does how do you put that together? All kinds of different ways. Fetch Clay ended up in the first slot and Choir Boy ended up in the last slot because we knew how much those plays were going to talk to each other and we wanted them on to bookend the season. But the interesting thing is that the way West is very much exploring class in America and specifically class in California. And that play is not only responding and and having a conversation with other plays within the season, particularly the whale, which is also about a very different class of, of people. Uh, the Way West is also in conversation with the play that we did in the first slot of this season, Good People, which was very much about how people were 
of a of a much lower class were dealing with the financial collapse and were dealing with uh, falling on hard times. The Way West is continuing that conversation with our audience in a very different way. David Lindsay Abair took a look at it through Boston. We're taking a look at it with this play, uh, as Mona's looking at it, through the a rural part of California. Which plays are you directing next year? I'll be directing The Whale and The Convert. Very, very different experiences for me next year, so I'm excited. You've been listening to an interview with Jason Mendedakis, the artistic director of Marin Theatre Company in Mill Valley. Lasso of Truth plays through this weekend. Lots of other things going on. You can find out more about it at marintheater.org. Fences begins on April 10th and Failure a Love Story in early June. I'm Richard Walensky for Open Book. For more information about this show, go to bookwaves.com, where you'll also find an extended version of this interview. Empowering Women of Color Conference EWOC is on Saturday, March 15th from 9 to 5 p.m. on the UC Berkeley campus. This conference builds bridges between women of color in the community and in academia. EWOC, a day where women can attend workshops, share resources, and network together. This year's theme is Talking Back, Our Voices Overcoming Violence. Keynote speaker is Loretta J. Ross, expert on racism, reproductive justice, and human rights. This conference is wheelchair accessible and is a benefit for the Graduate Assembly. The Empowering Women of Color Conference, Saturday, March 15th, Wheeler Auditorium on the UC Berkeley campus, Bancroft Way in Berkeley. Registration is now